Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 36. A very Merry Christmas to all the Adamantomaniacs. Wishing you all a very happy holiday season. I hope you guys are all enjoying the holidays. I wish everyone loved Christmas as much as I do. I just love everything about it. The lights, the music, the atmosphere, the food, the drinks... The just And most importantly, the time spent together, just the holiday spirit, just being in a good mood. And I love it. I love everything about it. Do something nice for someone this holiday season. Make someone feel good and you'll feel better about it yourself. And on a very, very small side note to the holidays, December also marks another very important landmark to this podcast, and that is our anniversary. So now the Adamantium podcast is now just over one year old. We've passed our one year anniversary, and I want to say a very, very special thank you to all you listeners out there. We can't have the show without you. Whether you've tuned in for one episode, whether this is the 36th episode you've listened to, thank you guys and girls so, so much. And thank you to all the wonderful guests that we've had on the show. We've had 36 episodes, but it's 43 guests total. Thank you guys for taking time out of your very busy schedules to sit and have a chat with me so we could create a wonderful episode, get people to know you uh, and know your art. And thank you to the publicists, the companies that I've worked with that have made these interviews possible, uh, whether it's one of your clients or uh, a partner. Thank you guys very much. Again, couldn't do it without you. So that being said, episode number 36 is our season finale. I don't know if podcasts have seasons or they're supposed to have seasons, but I'm making the rules here, so we're having seasons. So this is the end of season one. Season two will start up in mid-January, and I have to say, like, uh, you know, I have high expectations for myself, and in many ways I've met those expectations for season ones. In many ways I've exceeded those expectations of what I thought we could do with this podcast in in its first year. Obviously I've got a lot more goals I want to hit. I've got a lot of goals for season number two. So let's see how many we we can cross off. And thank you guys for tuning in again. I need your help to hit those goals, so please keep tuning in. Tell your friends. Season number two, starting middle of January. Make sure you come back and check it out. I've got big plans for season number two. And the first episode is a really great one. I wanted to do something a little different. Well, not different, but something special. Something we haven't done before. And so, yeah, hopefully that spikes your curiosity a little bit. And make sure you tune back in. We are going to take a little break for the holidays. As I mentioned, I love the holidays. I'm going to spend some time with family. And then actually right after Christmas, I'm actually going to Japan for New Year's. So I leave on Boxing Day. I'm coming back January 12th. And I'll be super excited to share that experience with you guys as well. A little bit on the podcast. I'll definitely create some kind of blog post. You can also follow along, uh, of course, on social media. I'll be posting on my stories, on my Instagram page, my Twitter. I'm super, super excited to be going to Japan. It's like the number one item on my bucket list. So super pumped to be crossing that off. I keep, uh, I'm getting like really giddy and uh, excited every time I'm planning what I'm going to be doing. And uh, it's, it's going to be super fun. Can't wait to tell you guys about it. And shortly after I come back, we'll get right in, right back to work, right into season number two. But why get too far ahead of ourselves when we've got an awesome episode for you today? Today on the podcast, the season finale episode, We've got music journalist, radio host, and just absolute vault of musical knowledge that is Alan Cross. 
right here on the Adamantium Podcast. If you're a listener of 102.1 The Edge or Q107, you definitely know who Alan Cross is. You've heard his show before. He's the host of The Ongoing History of New Music, uh, which has been going since 1993, over 800 plus episodes. Alan is the OG podcaster. He's been podcasting before podcasting was a thing. His radio voice is epic. It makes mine sound like poop. All-around awesome guy. And like I said, just an encyclopedia of rock and roll music. So super pumped to share with you the history behind the guy, behind the ongoing history of new music. Try saying that ten times fast. Anyways, moving on. If you guys are listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please do hit that subscribe button. Leave a rating and a comment if you please. Also, you can follow The Adamantium on social media, like I mentioned. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook. You can search for The Adamantium and it will pop right up. So here we go, celebrating one year of The Adamantium Podcast together. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the new year for season number two when I get back from Japan arigato here we are episode number 36 the season finale of the Adamantium podcast with Alan Cross Merry Christmas Happy Holidays be safe be well everyone God bless Thank you, Alan. We're here with Alan Cross from the Edge 102. I'm going to burn myself on this coffee because it's really, really hot. Yeah. And it's 102.1 The Edge. You'd be surprised how many people still get that wrong, even though the radio station has been around in this form since 1983. Okay, so Edge 102 is not the right thing. Edge 102. It was Edge 102 for a while, Mm -hmm. but uh, it has been 102.1 The Edge since the middle 90s. Really? Yes. That is, wow. Well, it's you know, sim- I'm guilty of it well, myself. People still, you know, people get mixed up. And, and you know, 102.1 The Edge is really hard to say. Yeah. There's a lot of syllables in that, especially if you're on the air and you're an announcer. Uh, and Edge 102 just seems to roll off the roll tongue. Roll off little, the tongue a little quicker. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't do the job because... You want to get the full frequency in there, 102.1, and it's more definitive and more brand building to say the edge rather than just edge 102. Right. See what I mean? Um, it's just been a losing battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least battle. a running battle. An yeah. uphill battle yeah. anyways. Um, okay. And I mean, when I was telling some of my, my music buddies, oh, I was meeting with you today, he goes, oh man, Alan's such a, such a vault of musical knowledge. <laughs> well, I don't, have, so. I, I don't have a lot of other portable skills, so <laughs> I mean, I have to put my energies into something. That's it. And you, I read uh, on your website that you first fell in love with music at age six mm-hmm. when your grandmother gave you a uh, transistor radio and your uncle gave you a collection of records. Yeah, the transistor radio came first, and that was for my sixth birthday. And I have no idea why my grandmother gave me that radio. I didn't ask where my parents didn't tell her to buy it for me. Uh, but there it was, and I was kind of a you know quiet, lonely kid mm-hmm. uh, by choice. And uh, the only radio that I knew up until that point was whatever was coming on the radio in the car or on the kitchen table. But when I had an opportunity to control the radio for myself, I realized that there was a lot more to the world than what I was being told. All this news and information and entertainment and music that was coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And because I was in Manitoba, where it gets very, very cold at night, 
Uh, you have something called ionospheric skip, which means you can pick up AM radio signals on cold winter nights from many, many, many hundreds of miles away. Okay. Not only was I listening to the radio stations out of Winnipeg, but out of Chicago and Louisville and Denver and Minneapolis and Cincinnati and Cleveland. And that really showed me how big the world could actually be. Mm-hmm. The record collection came about six years later-ish when we went to pick up a puppy uh, and my uncle, who was working for the Manitoba telephone system at the time, moonlighted by stocking jukeboxes. And every week he would go around and change the records in the jukeboxes. Mm -hmm. By that time, the records were fairly worn out, so there was no point in returning them to the distributor. So he just gave me a box, and that became the basis for my record collection. And so was it, let me ask you then, was it was it rock and roll music from the beginning, or was it... Oh, I was always, I was always a, a, a rock. Who were some of those artists that, that kind of got you right from the beginning? Well, the first record I ever received might have been Johnny Cash Live at San Quentin, okay. which uh, was given to me by, by my Aunt Olga. And the first record I bought with my own money was Elton John's Greatest Hits, Volume 1. Wow, okay. The records that I got from my uncle that Sunday afternoon were a mix of all sorts of things. I mean, there was Golden Earring, Radar Love, there were some country uh, singles that I immediately threw out, but I was uh, I was always a rock fan. Now, you have to understand that back then, where I was growing up outside of Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg had three top 40 radio stations. Top 40 ruled. We did yes. not have a, a rock station on FM. Okay. Just didn't exist. So... All we had to go on was what the AM guys told us. And what was what was playing in the um, on the top forty stations? Well, whatever was hot on any of the individual things. So you could listen to uh, any one of the stations, and you know, it could be you know, Kiss, rock and roll all night. It mm-hmm. could be Love Will Keep Us Together by uh, Captain and Tennille. It could be some sappy ballad from Paul Anka and Odia Coates. I mean, it was top forty radio at the time was an amalgamation of the best songs from all the different charts. Okay. And it wasn't until 1978, or maybe 77, that one of the stations, which had been a classical music station at the time, uh, decided that, no, this isn't working. We see a hole in the marketplace, so we're going to turn to into becoming an FM rock station. And that's when everything changed for people in Winnipeg. That was uh, City FM in Winnipeg. And from then on, they became a, a juggernaut, and I was a big fan. And okay, well, this sounds a whole lot better than AM radio, and I like the music they're playing yeah. much more than AM radio. So then, how did you, um, how did you kind of come to realize that you could turn this passion for music into a career? I had no intention of doing that. Okay. I wanted to be on the radio, but I wanted to be a newscaster. I okay. wanted to be a foreign correspondent, an anchor, a journalist somebody who would go out into the world and tell the truth and fight for the little guy. Mm-hmm. So that was my thinking all the way through high school and when I got into university. So I took all the appropriate courses, history, political science, French, sociology, all these things that I thought would help me become a journalist. When I finally got my first full-time job out of university, I was promised by the guy who hired me, and this is a station at CJRL in Kenora. Uh, 12, uh, 1,000 watt AM radio station, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. He said, you, the, the news guy's going to quit. Mm-hmm. If you just hang in there for a little while, the news guy's going to go 
and you can be the news director. So, fantastic. What do you want me to do in the meantime? So, well, I'll just go on the radio in the evening and play records and do whatever else would tell you to do. Okay, so I started doing that, and I realized that I kind of liked that. Oh, but the guy quit. And <laughs> this would be late August of 1983 that, okay, you're the news director. Fantastic. I lasted 23 days. I hate it. <laughs> I, I had spent my entire life up until that point thinking that I was going to be a news person. And when I finally got to do it, I hated it. And I had a real existentialist career crisis. Okay. Fortunately, though, earlier that year, I had applied to a radio station, an FM rock station, in Brandon, Manitoba. And they didn't hire me, so I ended up in Kenora. But then they needed somebody, and they, they called and says, would you like to come and work for us? I left Kenora so fast, <laughs> and this is the truth, I left Kenora so fast that my landlord sent the sheriff after me for non-payment of rent. Wow. And I started in Brandon in October of 1983. I think it was October the 9th. And I've been playing records and talking about music ever since. Incredible. And it's just, uh, it seems like the stars just aligned. Well, they did. And, you know, one of the things about, about any career is that in zigs and zags, there is no way, none whatsoever, that I could have planned out my career to the point where I am today. Right. No way. Things change. Some you change. The industry changes. Nope. The audience changes. Everything. The music changes. Everything. Then. Everything. And, and all these things conspire to derail any sort of straight line career path that you may have had. So had the station in, was it, was it Brad, Bradford? You said Brandon. 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 Did they... Had they heard you on air? They only heard a demo tape. Okay. They only heard a demo tape. I sent them something from... Uh, I had been working on another radio station. It was my first commercial radio station job. It was literally a 5,000-watt radio station in the middle of a wheat field, <laughs> and it played elevator music. Yeah. And I had created a fake rock DJ demo tape okay. in the production studio one night, and I had sent that out. Okay. Uh, thank God they kept it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did you ever did you ever play in, in a band yourself? Hey. Yeah. Oh, lots, <clears throat> lots of them. I, I play drums. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, and all through, up until about 1980, up until I went to, up until I left Kenora, I was in one band or another. Okay. Yeah. As a drummer. As a drummer. Yeah, that's yeah. Some of myself as well. What were some of the names of some of the bands you played? Do you remember? Remember there was one called Sniper. Okay. With a Y. It turns out that I found out later that uh, Joey Ramone was in a pre-Ramones band called Sniper. Sniper um, I don't know. Them. I'm sure there were others, but I don't remember them. Yeah. They're completely forgettable. Okay. Completely forgettable. Um, so don't even bother looking for anything. <laughs> Well, that was, that was my music career ended that too. I played two gigs and that was about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so since 93, you've now hosted over 800 episodes. I finished writing number 837 yesterday. There you go. Of the ongoing history mm. of new music. Um, what, are, in your opinions, are some of the key elements to having such a long-running, successful show? Don't know. <laughs> uh, the show should not work. Okay. The, it's got a terrible title. Nobody can get it right. It 
talks about a lot of and plays a lot of unfamiliar music. Okay. Uh, the host talks too much, <laughs> and the host never mentions the name of the radio station within the body of the show. So basically, it breaks every standard rule of radio. Yet, for some reason, here we are, 837 episodes later, mm-hmm. 25 years later, yeah. and I'm, there's no sign that it's ever going to stop until I die. Right. Um, my goal is to make it to 1,000. 1,000 episodes. That's another six years or so. Six years. Um, and if we go beyond that, great. But it's... I, it all comes down to this to a couple of things. First of all, people love stories. Mm-hmm. And if you can captivate them with a story, they'll follow you anywhere. The second thing is that people will enjoy music more if it's put into context. Yeah. The problem that we have with streaming right now is it's, it's basically organized noise. It goes in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. There's no one to tell you about the band no one to tell you about who wrote the song or why the song was written. There's nothing about the album. There's no artwork. There's no liner notes. There's none of those things. I mean, streaming is unbelievably convenient and cool. But if you you have almost zero, or you may in fact have zero financial investment in what you're listening to, mm-hmm. because you know nine ninety nine a month, or if you get the free version of Spotify, costs you zero. Mm-hmm. What are you getting out of it other than the quick dopamine hits from songs that you may like? Mm-hmm. Nobody is there to tell you why you should care, mm-hmm. and that's something that radio, traditional radio, can do very well. Needs to do more of, and it's sort of what I do with ongoing history stuff. There's, I think, two very really great points in there. The financial, the economic aspect behind it is one thing. I remember paying twenty six ninety nine for my first CD. And you're going to listen to it until I you like it, damn it. it. to death, yeah. yeah. And especially when that was, you know, 1998, 97, 98. Right, so that $26.99 is, is probably 50 bucks now. And as an 11-year-old, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second point is, is the storytelling aspect. Um, and I find in life, I mean, I think everything comes back to storytelling, whether it be sport, music, mm-hmm. everything. People people watch hockey for the stories, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think I think that's probably what it is. And and um, I guess then my follow up question is, do you ever have a hard time keeping it fresh, or is there weeks where you have like a oh, writer's yeah. block and you're like, well, what do I? Oh. Eight hundred episodes in, where do Absolutely. I find it? Absolutely. Yeah. Remember what it was like in school. 9.30 on Sunday night and you have an assignment to do the first thing next morning? Yeah. Okay, that's That's exactly every, what I'm thinking. Like, that's me you... every week. Okay. And what I try to do is I'm always on the prowl for something to write about. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly creating a list. I could write about this. I could write about this. I'm constantly asking for input and what people think I should do. And... Uh, Unknown caller. Oh, it's hang okay. on. Let's see. I know what this is. No, it's not. Hello? Hey, I'm in the middle of an interview. Can I, we could talk in a bit? Okay, no problem. Bye. Um, sorry. It's okay, we can cut, we can edit it out. Um, what was I saying? You keep a list. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's nothing that makes me happier than a list of, a, a, a filled in spreadsheet showing me to- topics for shows. Okay. Months in in the future. Mm, all right. Because at least I mean I can change it, but at least those slots aren't blank. Because mm-hmm. that means I got to 
I, you got to come up. With I got to come up with something, and there is no option. Mm-hmm. Saying oh, I don't feel like writing one this week, or oh, let's run a week. Right. I, I, it, it's, <laughs> that's it's not a, not an option. Yeah. So I do have for this season, the 2018-2019 uh, season, which extends from the Sunday after Labor Day to the first week in June. There's 33 or 34 episodes, depending on how the calendar falls. Mm-hmm. And I think I have almost all the slots filled to the end of May, which... That's a nice feeling. It is a very nice Because <laughs> at least go. now I know, and as I go along, I can, I can uh, you know, pick and choose and gather stuff and do research and just put stuff aside. Yeah, and you uh, you can also, now you can go into the holidays enjoying yourself without worrying. About well, yeah, that. and I and I try to stay, you know, five or six weeks ahead. Yeah. Just in case something happens. Um, you know, there have been weeks where I've had to do some emergency traveling for, for work and I just can't do that. Yeah. So, well, at least I'm not going to fall too you far. you got some stock piled, yeah. Yeah. It's, because uh, I, I did even notice on, on, on one of the social medias uh, someone had commented, "Hey, you should do an episode on this." And you oh, said, yeah. "Oh, coming in the spring." And I was like, "The spring? That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the Depeche Mode one." Somebody asked yes, me. Yes, yeah. that was it. Yeah. Was so it. I, I can't even promise that one in the spring because uh, that might be next fall. Okay. Oh wow. All right. It's just uh, because I've got some stuff for the spring that I'm not sure I want to move yet, but that could change. It's much better than the opposite problem, the to-do list problem, where every time you cross something off, mm. there's like five other things mm. on there. <laughs> yes. But that was it. I did the same when I started the podcast. I banked six episodes to begin with because yep. I'm like, what if I get no content for however long that gives yeah. me? Yeah, one a week that gives me you five have, six weeks to gotta have a buffer. Yeah, that's it. So those those good months are the good ones. This I recorded six in the last week, and so I'm like, I'm good till good December right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what uh, do you have any? I know in that 800 episodes is a lot to pick from but what were some that you had the most fun writing you know I don't remember and okay. I'll tell you why or recently it, or well I'll tell you why is because I think there the human brain only has so much capacity so if you're going to put a piece of paper on the top of the pile a piece of paper has to disappear from the bottom of the file yeah and I can tell you without reservation that I have heard repeats of shows mm-hmm that's my voice. I'm speaking. I must have written it because nobody else has written it. And I don't remember a single thing that I'm telling me. <laughs> uh, it is, it, I don't remember anything about really? the show. No. The problem, and you know, some, obviously a lot of stuff sticks, but uh, a lot of it is like, okay, I've written it down, I've recorded it, I've therefore documented it and archived it. Therefore, I don't have to remember all of it. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be some kind of storage flaw mm-hmm. in my brain, but at least I know where all this stuff is if I ever need it. Yeah. I was just doing something on Radiohead the other day, and uh, I had done some stuff on Radiohead back. Last time I did a Radiohead show was in 2003 or 2004 so okay it's time so I went that's back. a pretty good memory right there you were able to pinpoint well yeah I knew I knew it was sometime after after Kid A mm-hmm. and uh, Hail to the Thief or Amnesiac somewhere around there I went back and I read the script and it was like nope don't remember writing this yeah. but it's well, okay what 
what do you one thing that that really frustrates me in music now is is when and I, I wanted to know what your reaction because I'm sure you've had the same thing when people say that the rock rock and roll music is, is dying oh, please. Dead. right I, I say the same thing but what do you what do you say to people when they rock has died about 16 times right. since 1955 mm-hmm. it died when Elvis went into the army it died at the at Altamont in 1969 it died with disco it died in the middle 80s when synthesizers came around and Huey Lewis and the News and Whitney Houston and new kids in the mm-hmm. block were around it died with Kurt Cobain it died with the rise of electronica it died with the rise of EDM no, it's still here. We're mm-hmm. still, you know, seeing groups like Greta Van Fleet pick up guitars and independently discover the same sort of goodness and glory that Led Zeppelin did when they were that mm-hmm. age. So, uh, and one of the things that we have to be very careful about is that we will hear stories about how hip hop is now the main cultural driver mm-hmm. when it comes to music um, in, in society. That is definitely true for the United States. Mm-hmm. Definitely true. Uh, rock is, is second to the impact that hip-hop has. Uh, it, however, in Canada and other parts of the country and other, other parts of the world, uh, if you look at what people are listening to, what people are buying, mm-hmm. what, what shows people are attending, uh, rock is still number one. Uh, it is not as powerful as it used to be, but it is as every bit as popular mm-hmm. as it used to be in Canada, I think the uh, the gap it's it's twice. If you look at all the different metrics that you can use to determine exactly uh, what genres are the most popular with the general public, uh, I think rock is twice as popular as hip hop, which in Canada we put we lumped together with R and B. So hip hop and R and B mm-hmm. is has half the popularity that rock has right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? I, I, I've heard this story so many times. You know, The Who wrote a song called Long Live Rock in the late 70s, and they're lamenting that rock is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else... I, I will say this, though, that uh, rock has stopped innovating for quite... Uh, for, has, been, has stopped innovating for quite some time. Um, the last time... You know, it, 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 people are, 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 are taking the themes and the foundations of rock and just finding new ways of, ex, of um, expressing them mm-hmm. without really coming up with too many new sounds. I found the last time I thought there was really something new was uh, Matthew Bellamy from Muse yeah. when he built the, the built-in synthesizer to the yeah, guitar. He's got a place. Uh, there's a there's a place that does custom guitars for him in, mm-hmm. in the UK. And he's always building in weird things. And yeah, he came up with some really cool sounds. Yeah. And, you know, I would say that Muse is certainly one of the the more innovative sounding bands of the last 15 years. I think the last, in my last couple albums, in my opinion, have been a little more status quo Mm -hmm. than a few ago, but. Yeah. But they, yeah. um, That was the last time I really went, wow, this is something really different. Mm Um, but if you look at everything else, like Jack White, and that's a, that's a, a, you know, I love Jack White and love the White Stripes, but you know that is a modern take on a lot of old blues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you look at somebody like uh, Green Day, I mean, well, Ramones were doing that in 1976. Mm-hmm. If you look at somebody like you know, Greta Van Fleet, we've already talked about. It. I mean, that's classic rock style stuff yes. from, from 1972. 
um, again, not, I mean, I mean, I'm not knocking that. Mm -hmm. It's just that rock has been around for over 60 years. There is going to be some repetition. There is going to be some redundancies. But uh, it still feels good, mm -hmm. and that's all I care about. I think, you know, it's it's funny you mention because Greta, Greta Van Fleet are a very hot topic right now. Mm -hmm. They've come up probably five of the last eight podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's not it's not new. There's a, the ongoing debate, what do they sound like Led Zeppelin? Well, sure they do. But they do. But I think what's... I think there's a hunger right now for that. I mean, we've got bands like the Glorious Sons, mm -hmm. even like uh, the Struts, that are kind of, I don't want to say a throwback, but it's kind of fresh now because well, we haven't had it for oh, a while. Oh, yeah, it is fresh because yeah. we were in a very long pop phase mm -hmm. where Justin Bieber and Katy Perry and Lady Gaga took over the world. Mm -hmm. Then we were into this weird, woe is me, minor key, yeah. mid-tempo stuff like, you know, Hosier and Gauthier and... and yeah. And you know, Twenty One Pilots singing songs like "Stressed Out" and yeah. "Revivalists," where I wish every you know, knew you when you were young. I mean, it was all whiny Lord, shit. Lord is a, uh, yeah, and it, it drove me nuts. Now yeah. again, I'm too old to be in the demographic to which that music is directed. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but after a while, working with it every day, it's like, come on, grow up, let's go. Um, and one of the things, a number of things have happened in, in the meantime. Uh, we have uh, Brexit, creating all mm -hmm. kinds of, of uncertainty in the United States, in, in, in Europe and in the UK. We have uh, immigration crisis, we mm -hmm. have uh, the climate crisis, we have uh, um, Donald Trump. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Well, what's, what happened, music is always, always downstream from society. Yes, of course. And it takes a while for the music to begin to truly reflect what society, what's going on in society. Mm -hmm. And we would have seen, you know, whenever we have an unpopular Republican, and we can go back to Ronald Reagan and a few other, you start to see, or Margaret Thatcher, for example, mm -hmm. you start to see that music, after they've been in power for a little while, music starts to get harder and tougher. Right. As people express well, their fears, got rage against the machine, and all, yeah, it's it's all their 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 their, their fears, their 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 concerns, their anger, yeah. their rage. It it doesn't work, you know, with a song. Oh, woe is me, I'm all stressed out. It's just, mm -hmm. no. I mean, you you want to get angry and mad, so and you have to be loud about it. So, what we've seen is that uh, pop songs over the last couple of years have gotten slower in terms of BPM. And more and more in a minor key, mm -hmm. and more songs are featuring a guitar. We're seeing young people pick up guitars again and playing angry, loud rock, or if not playing it, listening to it. Mm -hmm. So they'll go back and listen to their Black Sabbath and their Rage Against the Machine and whatever else. So it's uh, it's it's the reason it's taken a little bit longer this time for the music to get harder after. An unpopular politician comes into into uh, into power is because the traditional cultural gatekeepers have broken down. Mm -hmm. So we don't have radio, we don't have MTV and much music, we don't have uh, the record stores. Uh, everybody's their own music director, thanks to music streaming. Yeah. So it takes an awful lot longer for the mm -hmm. music fans in general, the music fans at large, to create to to come to some kind of consensus about how they feel mm -hmm. because everybody can listen to anything they want anytime they want on whatever device they happen to have in the old days it was the radio and television they told you what to listen to they told you what was cool they told you how to talk they told you you know what you needed to think 
Now that's gone. It is all completely flattened and, and democratized. Mm-hmm. So it takes longer for that same level of consensus to arise, which is why we haven't seen as much angry music since the election of Donald Trump as we would have in a previous era with another president. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And one one thing I always say to two people when people say, Rock is dead, Ma. I say, look at every major venue we have in this city. We've got 20 major venues in this city. If you look at their upcoming schedule, seven out of 10 shows are rock and roll shows. Rock is still the biggest driver of the live Of live music. Yep. And I was like, those venues are not going, those venues are not going out of business. So nope. and there was, a, me, unless they get a condo development buys them. But <laughs> there was a, a story that came up this week that says that by 2022, the live music business will be worth about $31 billion. And the majority of that will be from rock acts. <laughs> so why do you think then, and it's been always the case. Why do you think we don't see more rock and roll in the top forty? Well, and when it is, it's usually more kind of poppy, like right. Imagine Dragons style. Right. What's going on now is that rock fans have not yet adopted streaming, and okay. when you're when you're um, compiling top four, uh, statistics to see what makes it into the top one hundred mm-hmm. or top fifty or top ten or whatever it is, there are you take into account a lot of streaming metrics. Mm-hmm. Rock fans still prefer to buy. Rock fans still prefer to listen to the radio. Okay. Rock fans still prefer to download. But aren't, aren't those accounted into the numbers? For yeah, but streaming is so much... Okay. Uh, ...is so biased towards hip-hop and pop and R&B that the sheer numbers of people who are listening to that music, and there are, there are and again, we're dealing mostly with uh, United States figures, mm-hmm. um, they're, it's just completely... It's completely taken over. Uh, in, in Canada, um, we have we were late to the streaming game. The people that tend to adopt this new technology were young people. Young people were very much into pop and hip hop mm-hmm. and R and B. So that is where the, uh, the the most of the emphasis is right now. Mm-hmm. Slowly, though, rock fans will come around. Country fans will come around. I'm seeing much more country in the top. It's again, they're even more conservative than rock fans. Yeah, they buy and download, mm-hmm. you know, uh, paid files more than anybody else. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's just the the, the hip hop and R and B and pop have such a head start mm-hmm. that it's going to take a while for the other fans from all these other genres. Yeah, because it always be fun. I mean, you got a band like the Foo Fighters who are selling out the Sky Dome, mm-hmm. and yet. Drake has eight singles ahead of theirs on the chart. Oh, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's because Drake fans stream, Foo Fighters fans do not. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a good answer. That's, that's answered re- my question. And, and it's, it's, it's of concern to people in the, um, on the rock side of things because if I'm a record label, what I look to see what's, yeah. what's, what's working. You feel like you're not being represented. Right. So if I'm a record label and I look at the charts, I say, oh, I'm really making all our money through hip-hop and pop. I'm going to throw all my promotional dollars towards that. And that just... And take it away from guitar bands. Yeah. So as a result, the argument worse. You end up with a vicious circle. Yeah. But it's it'll it will change. Streaming is too big to fail. It'll be here forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of time. You got to wait to you know. One of the things, another thing we saw this week, is that the number of people between the ages of twenty two and thirty seven uh, who are streaming has jumped dramatically. Okay. And that's as the early adopters of streamers mm-hmm. who were teenagers when Spotify first came on board. Right. They're getting older. Mm-hmm. So they're taking their habits into the next demographic group. Yeah. 
I know. I just had the. <laughs> I'm still an. I, I still love my my iTunes library is so meticulously organized. Mm-hmm. I I'm like. I can't get rid of it. No. And, uh, no, no, no. This, this idea that, that you see, with, with, with streaming, mm-hmm. and you're paying for it, you're essentially renting things. Yeah. And if you stop paying... It's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. And a lot of rock fans, because part of the thing about being a rock fan is being a collector. Yes. That's I'm, I'm 100% I'm in that number. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's always been, here's how much I love music. Look how many linear feet of, of shelving I have <laughs> dedicated in my personal space to storing the music that I love. Yeah. Or look how many gigabytes I have on my computer devoted to music. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's going to take us a long time to get over that attitude. Yeah. Yeah. If we want to. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if we want to. Yeah. Absolutely. So what, tell me, Alan, what are some of, the albums you're listening to at the moment. What are some of your favorites from 2018? Um, there is a band called Shame. Okay. Out of the, out of the UK. There's another one called uh, Idols. That's I-D-L-E-S. Uh, also out of the UK. Um, there is a new singer-songwriter from Toronto here called Posey. P-O-E-S-Y. She's, she's going to be a star. Um, there's a band from California, a punk band from California called Fiddler. Mm-hmm. Who are just? I've seen them. Yeah, oh, I love them. They yeah. are so good. And um, whatever else happens to come along, you see, the, my problem is that I, I get about five hundred, and that's not an exaggeration. I get five hundred pitches oh, for sure. for new songs every single week. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have to. I try to evaluate as many of them as I possibly can. And when I find something, I go, oh, okay, that's good. I gotta move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't get a chance to get really, really enjoy it too much. I keep too attached to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Occasionally something yeah. will come out like like Fiddler or Idols. It's just yes, like, and then you're hooked. Okay, that's it. This is going into a special yeah. playlist on my my iPod or on my iPhone, so I can listen to it in the car. Are you uh, like a, a list guy? Me, I'm every year. I love doing you know my top ten. Well, I have to do it as part of my job. Okay. okay. So yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you still go to a lot of gigs? Um, ones that I really, really, really want to. Okay. Uh, I live out in the suburbs, so it's a little bit tough for me to get mm-hmm. in, and I get up very early to do all the stuff that I have to do. So the last thing I'm going to do is stick around to see your band at 1.15 a.m. on a Tuesday. Okay. It's not so it's the ones you're a fan of. The one I'm a fan of, but yeah. you know I'm not. I've I've done my time in in, okay. in, in clubs, and, and I've uh, it's. I know that sounds really sucky, but. Um, I got so much stuff that I have to do that I just don't can't sacrifice time yeah, yeah. to standing around at a bar waiting for a band to come on, bad sound, uh, rude people, and I might not even like the group. Yeah. What um, you know in, in all your what are some of the all time best concerts you've ever been to? Oh uh, well, the best one I've ever gone to, and it's a bit of a strange one, is back in nineteen I think it was ninety. Three, uh, Peter Gabriel went on the road with his Us tour, and he started the tour at the War Memorial Auditorium in Rochester, New York. And the night before, me and a couple of people got to go. There was about sixty of us in total. Got to go and watch the entire show mm-hmm. in an empty auditorium, and it was the full show, front to back, with all the lights, all the effects, wow. all the stage patter, full on dress rehearsal, and there were sixty people there. Wow, Pre- private show, pretty much. Pretty yeah. cool. That is really cool. Pretty cool. Um, 
I'm a massive U2 fan. Mm -hmm. Always, my, my family's Irish. It was in my blood from mm -hmm. the beginning. When was the first time you saw U2? I don't think I got to see them until the Joshua Tree tour in the fall of 87 mm -hmm. at Exhibition Stadium. I think it was the first time I saw them. Pretty sure it was because I was living in Winnipeg and they never came that way as far as I can remember. But since then, I've seen them, I don't know how many times. Um, and I don't know in how many different places. Uh, for, my, for our 25th wedding anniversary, uh, my wife, who's also a fan, we went to see them uh, at Luzhniki Sports Stadium in Moscow. Oh, wow. And that was cool. That is cool. Yeah, so we That's went all the way cool. to Moscow to see them. Where, um, that first time, the Joshua Tree Tour, where was that one? Exhibition Stadium. Exhibition Stadium. Yeah. Right. Wow. I was at the 30th anniversary one of the right. <laughs> Joshua Tree. Yeah, I was there too. Were you? Yeah. No, I, don't, no. I, don't, I haven't missed a U2 tour through Toronto since 87. No, I haven't. Well, I haven't missed one either. But since. Not yeah. since as far back. But yeah. And I saw... The 362, I think, three or four times in mm. different places. That was a great one. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, that. and the problem... Other than the fact that it's in Skydome, you know, yeah. the best of Yeah, Skydome. I saw it at, uh, well, I saw it in Moscow, and I saw it in Winnipeg, which was outdoors, mm -hmm. and that was kind of cool. That is cool, yeah. Um, is there, I mean, I'm sure the, the list of people you've interviewed is miles long. Mm. Is there any of your musical heroes that you have yet to... I don't have a. I do not have a Rolling Stone on my list, which is a huge gap. Okay. I need. I'll even talk to Charlie. I mean, I need. Yeah, a, yeah. I need a Rolling Stone, and I don't have one. Okay. Which is. So that's your. Uh, yep, that's on my list. That's your pedestal. I gotta get me. Gotta you know, Keith, Mick, great, but even if it's Charlie, I don't care. Yeah. I just have to have a Rolling Stone. Well, I feel like they're gonna be around forever. <laughs> Could be. Um, how many times have you seen the Rolling Stones? Oh, I don't know. Yeah? God, plenty of times. Um, last time I saw them was a desert trip a couple of years ago, a couple of Octobers ago. Um, and uh, I don't know if I need to see them again. Yeah. Because, you know, they were doing Jumpin' Jack Flash, and it took me like a whole minute before I realized what they were singing. Oh, really? It was just so loose. Yeah. yeah. I, only, I saw them just for the first time two two years ago mm -hmm. down in Buffalo actually mm -hmm. yeah I took my mom for her birthday <laughs> yeah, everybody should see them I mean, and that's it I had it it was just well, for me it was the concert list next next one next guy I got to see will be next year is Elton John I've never seen Elton John never seen Elton John no, yeah yeah I was in, I missed that I haven't seen him either um, do you have you know Rolling Stone is the Rolling Stones are on your list do you did you have a list of people that you wanted mm -hmm. to yeah, yeah. They're all gonna be the, big, the biggest bands in the world yeah, yeah. So I, you know I got me my Paul McCartney I got me my John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin um, I got me my David Bowie got me my Bono wow. I know I've got all those but Bono's number one on my list that's <laughs> yeah, you know Bono's the easiest interview in the world yeah like because that. all you have to do is say hey how's and it going that's it off he goes yeah I've had uh, I've come into into interviews with uh, you know with him I've talked to him many times uh, you know 15 20 questions and I get to question two yeah and then all of a sudden 45 minutes is gone and he's being dragged away yeah well I shook his hand once I saw him at the the film festival oh okay and he yeah. signed my copy of the Joshua Tree nice. so that's 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 hanging on my wall at home um, we have another few minutes there was one one thing I found very interesting. Um, was Major League Mixes. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a fantastic idea for a company. I thought it was, too. Yeah. So was that your idea originally? Yes, it was. Okay. I went to an event where I ended up being seated across the uh, table from the chief commercial officer of Maple Leaf Sports and mm -hmm. Entertainment. He found out who he was, and he said to me, look, we need to do something about the music we play at Leaf Games. Mm -hmm. Come up with a plan. Come and see me. So I got a partner, 
and we put together something, and uh, they bought it. And for two years, I was basically the music director for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. So I would go to the games and sit in the press box and make note of what songs were played during what intervals and what points in the game, and uh, would write up reports and, and file it back. And that was that was a cool thing. We tried to get other deals with other teams, but it turns out what happened is that our timing was bad because just as we were getting into this, so were some really big organizations in the United States. Mm, okay. And these were people that would put on things like, uh, you know, the the Super Bowl um, fan experience. Mm -hmm. and I mean, we visited, we went and saw the Los Angeles Kings, we saw the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning, we went to Columbus a couple of times, we went to Edmonton, we went to Winnipeg. You know, we pitched on, and hey, great idea, fantastic. And then, you know, once they figured out that uh, somebody was doing this, they thought, well, we're going to do it ourselves mm -hmm. because everybody thinks that they can do it themselves better than anybody else. And uh, then their Brendan Shanahan comes into the Toronto Maple Leafs and decides he wants to completely revamp things for the 100th season, mm -hmm. and he completely changes what's called the game operations division. Okay. And uh, everybody who was working in the game operations division, except for uh, Jimmy at the organ, uh, was let go. Really? Yeah. So, huh. hey, it was a really good two-year yeah, run. Yeah, as soon as I read about it, I was like, that's a fantastic yeah, idea. It was, it was, I always wondered who's, who's DJing this yeah, thing. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I hired the DJ, and I, I yeah. you know, all kinds of, it was fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And uh, we made some money from it, but then uh, it just was overtaken by larger interests and larger corporations. You find out, for example, that the NHL and the NBA have league agreements with certain media companies for doing certain things, mm -hmm. and the individual teams are prohibited from contravening those terms. So we just two guys working out of their houses, so it was just, no. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Well, Alan, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed the chat. And, uh, Let's do it again sometime. You bet. Thanks. The Adamantium.